The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, the songs we've been able to sing this morning are laced with many beautiful truths. The last one there about the end of our slavery. We're no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer slaves to fear. And that is all by your grace. And so we say thank you. You're kind and good and powerful. And above all, gloriously gracious. Thank you. And now we ask you for still more because you love to display your beautiful, giving, generous nature. So, Father, we come to you holding out our hands and say, please fill them now in this moment with more of you, with more of your truth, more of your life-changing grace. We are our people still in process, and we are in need of more. So please give it this morning through this passage. We'll be touching on a lot of things this morning, and I pray that you would cause for each person here the thing most needed in your wisdom to, to pop, to rise out, to, to touch someone, to grab someone's attention, to pique their interest. Whatever is most needed for each one of us here this morning, will you minister it in the way and in the time and, and to the degree that it's needed and helpful? So guide my words, but speak in your words to our hearts. Build your church and honor your name. That's what we ask you this morning, and, and pray it confident that you will give still more. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Over the last several months, we've been studying a pair of letters known as First and Second Timothy. Two letters from two different times, but both written by the Apostle Paul to his younger ministry partner, Timothy, and they form a nice pair. Both are concerned with the life and purpose of the church and the world, and so both deal with similar themes. But what we've seen in 2 Timothy so far over the last number of months is, is that it is far more personal. It's much more focused on the individual Christian, particularly with regards to to how each one of us lives out at life as a faithful minister of the gospel, embraces personal, faithful gospel ministry. That's been a constant throughout this letter, and that's what we're going to look at today as we finish our study in 2 Timothy. Initially, this morning, we're going to be looking at the last few verses of chapter 4, beginning in verse 19. And we'll see there that, though maybe it doesn't appear on the surface that there's much to, to note, there is something worth considering at the very end of this letter. But it's short, and most of our time this morning actually is going to then be a, a summary, a review of the whole book of 2 Timothy, drawing out two of the main themes. And so if, if you're newer here this morning, this is not how we usually preach, kind of skipping across four chapters all at once. And frankly, I don't really like preaching like this. I feel like it's just kind of a this and this and this and this and there's not much depth behind it. 
So at the end of the first point, when I'm done dealing with the, the verses at the very end of chapter 4, I'm going to, I hope, pause there and help us to kind of take that in so that we don't misunderstand the this and this and this and this and this, as if it's a laundry list of things to do. So this is not a usual type of sermon for us this morning, but it is the conclusion of 2 Timothy, and so we're going to look at a couple of main themes after dealing with the last verses. So let me read the very end of chapter 4, and then I'll have three observations, as I've said, of a different nature. So this is 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 19 to the end. Paul writes, Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesephorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubelus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. So first, from these verses. The church is a family of individuals who each stand in grace together. The church is a family of individuals who each stand in grace together. As usual, the closing of this letter, Paul writes many letters, and they all kind of have some similarities. It ends with lots of names. And even more, if you were to reach back into verse 9, you'd see even, even more. He's sending greetings to people and sending greetings from people and talking about details and, and certain situations. But right on the surface, a simple fact worth noting is that these people are all a diverse hodgepodge. Prisca, or Priscilla, and Aquila. They're a married couple. We first meet them in the book of Acts. They were from Rome, but when the Jews were all kicked out of Rome because they're Jewish, they left and resettled in Ephesus. They were Jewish, and then they became Christians. And then if you consider the church that's still in Rome, though, and the names that are here, many, if not a large portion of them, would have been Gentile and Roman in background. And then you've got Timothy, who's mixed. He's a Gentile and a Jewish parent. Both. So you've got a racial diversity here of Jew and Gentile, and then even the Gentiles themselves, those from Rome, would have looked at those from the sticks born in, in Asia Minor, a thousand miles away, they were culturally completely different. This is a racially and culturally diverse group of people. Men and women both. With the wife, Prisca, unexpectedly named first before her husband. She's put in the place of honor, perhaps because she was a more devout Christian or maybe she was more astute, scholarly, we don't know. But unexpectedly, she's named first. And then down in verse 21, the four people named there, there's Claudia, a woman, just thrown in, just included with all the other brothers, which tells us right off, Paul does not mean brothers as in men. He means brothers like we, like we sometimes say guys, you guys. He just means people. It's male and female. It's Jew and Gentile. It's Roman and former Roman and hillbilly from Asia Minor. That's a lot of different people. 
from all kinds of different backgrounds with all kinds of reasons not to be friends with each other, let alone even have heard of one another. But here they all are, very conscious of their oneness, sending greetings back and forth, very conscious that they are one with one another because of what's behind verse 22. The one gospel of God's grace that has claimed them all. Verse 22, there are two sentences, one plural and one singular. First, Paul says to Timothy, the Lord be with your spirit. That's singular. He's talking to one guy, and he's relating to him something very important. And, and really, though, it's, it's, it's expressed as a wish. It's actually a statement that's true, that he wants Timothy to know, to remember, and to to experience, to live in. The Lord himself, Timothy with you, is with, is alongside of. You are united to him personally, individually, singularly. Remember that, Timothy. Know that, Timothy. Experience that. The Lord be with your spirit. And then next, grace be with you all. That's plural. Because Paul also knows this letter that he's been writing to Timothy, all along he knows it's going to be read in the church. It's actually a letter to all of us. It's to an individual and it's to the group. And acknowledging that, he wishes for us and wants to remind us of this fact, God's grace with us in which we stand. The grace of God is at the end of every one of Paul's letters. Because in the end, that's what matters. You talk about God and God's work with us, and you can use many different words, but if you had to use a word, a single word, and lift that up and praise God for it, he would say, Praise me for my glory, particularly praise me for the glory of my grace. The undeserved, unearned favor of Almighty God. Christian, church, grace. The Almighty God made you and elected you and redeemed you and forgave you and renewed you and empowered you. And as we saw last week, protects you and saves you, carrying you all the way to the end safely. Our, and the point of the singular is, your, where does the grace of God come to us? In Christ with us, united with Christ, our and your life is defined by the grace of God. Start before you even thought of starting. Start to finish the place you're not at yet. Grace be with you. We are recipients of grace. And that must be seen and known and appreciated and sat in and soaked in because several reasons. 
There is much in the world that wants to press upon you. No, you are not a graced person. You're a ripped off person. Look at what you don't have. Look at what you lost. Or, no, you're not a graced person. You're a guilty person. Look at what you've done. Look at who you are. And God, through his apostle, wants to say, no, grace. Before, after, all the way through, grace to you. Not because of you, but because of him. Sit in that and soak in that and rest in that and then also take that on because what I'm about to do is I'm going to go and look through this book and we're going to dance through and find some obligation, some calling, some assignment to you, some responsibility, which is a privilege, as I say, but it's also responsibility. And it's easy then to sit in front of that responsibility and say, the burden and the weight and the length of the list and the complexity of the task. Oh my goodness. And then you're going to tell me also that that is going to bring suffering? And, and I am because he does. Grace. Grace to you because only by the power of God's grace can you do this. And the reality of God's grace means that you can do this. And you'll be safe and secure all the way through. Grace be with you. The Lord be with your spirit. It's at the end and really it's at the beginning because it's the most important thing. It is the reality in which we stand. Christian, you are an object of grace. That's good news. And then we realize, one of the songs repeated this morning, that all that we've been given is for something else. So we've been given grace for. We are objects of grace to be, then, followers and servants of him. And that gets us to the, the book as a whole. So I'm going to try to draw out two main themes from this book. And as I said, I'm going to try to touch on verses here and there. I'm going to miss some things, but I'm doing this because I, I think there's helpfulness in review. And maybe as I say things, something will jar in you. Perhaps you'll remember a sermon from three months ago and you'll say, oh yeah, God spoke to me about that. And now he is again. Or maybe you'll, you'll say, I wasn't here, but that's interesting. Maybe I should go read that section. Yeah, and you'll look. I can't touch on everything, but I'm going like, to skip across the top and catch some important things. That the grace of God means to empower us to step into. So here, first. Second Timothy teaches us to be faithful guardians and ministers of the gospel. 2 Timothy teaches us to be faithful guardians and ministers of the gospel. 
This theme runs all through the letter, and it's particularly pronounced in this letter because you've got Paul, an apostle, writing to a fellow missionary turned pastor, Timothy. So you've got two guys who remember the phrasing, capital M ministers. If two guys here who are capital M by office ministers. But on the other hand, as we also pointed out often, by the grace of God, every Christian is also a lowercase m minister. If you're a Christian, this is about you too. Called, all of us called to minister the gospel in word and also in deed. Remember Onesephorus. Mentioned him here again, his household. He came up in chapter one. He's not a pastor. He's not a missionary. He's not an apostle. He is a servant in tangible physical deed. And that's the guy that Paul held up as an example to Timothy. I'm talking to you, Timothy, about being a minister. I mean like him. Look at him. Look at how he is. He holds up somebody who is a minister in deed, in deeds. Gospel ministry, then, is in word for sure and also in deed. And that includes all of us. Remember the, chapter 2, the, the ministry tree where Paul passes on to Timothy, who passes on to qualified men who are able to teach others. We're all on that tree in some way or another. Now, Paul's thinking particularly about elders there, but who are elders to teach? Elders are to teach the church. Elders are to pass on to us everything that Paul has written, like all this book. This is about us. The, the call, the assignment to each of us. Minister the gospel. Let's trace out that theme just a little bit. Chapter 1, verse 11. Paul mentions that he's been appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which means as a spokesman of God, he's been given the message to speak. He's been given some content. The words that he is to explain, to pass on, it's called a deposit. Kind of like think of it like a little body of information that was given to Paul. And that at its core, if you look at it very, very, very tightly, at its core, the message is pretty simple then it expands out and becomes all-encompassing so we could fairly say it's all of the Scripture. But simply put, this message is the plan of God to elect a people in eternity past, independent of anything we've done, chosen only because of the grace of God. This is chapter 1, verse 9. God's own purpose and grace placed on each one who would be a Christian one day, placed on each of us a destiny and summoned us to it. That's the grace of God in eternity past before we had done anything, before we even were born. And then verse 10 says, and then that grace of God showed up in time and space in Jesus when he appeared and made clear the path to life. That 
that core right there, that's the gospel message. That's the deposit given to Paul and given to Timothy and given to each of us now. And then everything related to it that, that either comes out of it as ramification or extension or leads to it as foundation and, and prophetic setting up. That's all the body of sound words, all of the doctrine that's given to Paul and passed on to all of us. This is the Christian faith. And it is a message at its core. It's news. It's not a, a list of things to do. It's, it's not a, a list of ethics or requirements or behaviors. It is, it is news about the grace of God in eternity past that has appeared now in Jesus to save. Given to Paul, pass on to Timothy and to us. He says to Timothy then, so then follow this pattern of sound teaching. In chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Guard it, shelter it, keep it. But don't keep it by protecting it and hiding it away and never talking about it. Keep it by spreading it. See this in several places in the book, in chapters 3 and end of 3 and the beginning of 4 especially. Continue what you have learned and firmly believe the scriptures and then preach it and teach it and use it for correction and reproof and encouragement. This is the word of God in which this message is contained. Keep it by spreading it out. We are a people. This is a church. And this is a faith that is not left to us to define. It is a given faith which we have to guard and give out ourselves, but which we are not allowed to modify, change, adapt, make culturally palatable. It's going to have edges on it that will rub against every society in every time. It's a body of information given that we must guard and must watch out for those who won't guard it. Paul's really clear in this letter. Look at the beginning of chapter 3, for instance. He names people at other places, but at the beginning of 3 he says, and there are other people who are more like wolves in sheep's clothing that you can't see, you can't quite right off tell them, but there will be people who will take this body of information and will want to undermine it or alter it or change it. Watch out for them. You can know them by their fruit if you look closely. What you're looking for, remember this bracketed this section, is they are lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, not lovers of God. It's a heart condition. What do you love? Watch out for them and also watch out for yourself. We've got a body of information that we are to keep and guard, not just protect from them, but protect from me and my own tendency to wander. If I want to be a useful servant, the middle of chapter 2. If I want to be useful to him, the master of the house, ready for every good work, I must guard my heart and set myself apart as holy. Guarding it by giving it out and guarding it by watching those who might attack it and guarding it even by watching myself and my own tendency to wander. 
This is the charge to each of us. Faithful gospel ministry. In word, explaining it, telling it, and indeed showing it off so that it's understood and made clear. So, how are you doing at that? Now remember, I tried to set this up with describing the grace of God because if I just talk about it just like that, I just laid on you a few things. You've got to guard it by this, and you've got to guard it like that, and you've got to spread it like this, and you can spread it like that. How you doing? Thing to do, thing to do, thing to not do, thing to not do. How you doing? Work. Well, yes. It, it is the work of God. It, it is from start to finish. It is the work of God. And we talked about this last week. He's the one who started it, and then he's the one who accomplished it. But you and I, Christian, we have to step forward into action. That's the expectation behind these verses and these charges and these commands. We have to be People who lean forward, who strive, people who keep, people who speak and who serve and who sacrifice and who love and who listen and who pray. That's a calling on our lives. How are you doing at that? Don't let it slide by as the, a truth that you know. Let it come to you and say, am I, are you, a faithful gospel minister. You have been given gifts. If you're a Christian, when you became a Christian, you got at least one, maybe several. You also have natural gifts, giftings, abilities, tendencies. You are a gifted person by the grace of God for a reason. You're given these things, blessed with these things to be a blessing to others. You're graced so as to provide grace for others. And you're also a person who, under the ordaining hand of God, will find yourself in circumstances day after day after day. So you're going to be in places with gifts by God's design. God's got a work to do. You're going to show up late. He's already at work there. But you have calling. Is that calling right near the surface? Are you aware of it? Are you conscious of it? Are you excited about it? Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes that sounds a lot like responsibility, and I want to be responsible. Command, I want to be obedient. Might it maybe sound like offer, opportunity, and you want to seek your joy in the joy of God? Not separate from that, but an opportunity where, where he might be saying to you, might you think of it like this, like, look, guys, chapter 1, verse 9, I have a people. 
chapter 1, verse 10. I already sent my son to secure them. And I'm in pursuit of them. And I catch them. And it's joyous and glorious and awesome when I gather in my people and give them life and bring light and immortality to light in their eyes and in their hearts. It's an awesome thing. Want to come? Want to come? Do I have to? Might you see it this way? Like, like an opportunity. I, I'm in... It gets done. It all gets done. It's my job. I, I do it. I'm, it's fine. I get it. Do you want to come? you want to participate? you want to be a part of this? Do you want to see people come to life? you want to see people grow and change and find in, their, in, this, in this illumined beauty? you want to see people find joy? you want to be a part of that? Come on. It's a responsibility, and it's a privilege. And he's actually already at work in you so that you can do it by grace. He's given you gifts. He's put you in opportunities. It's the sweetest thing. Yes, there's obligation. Yes, there's calling. Yes, there's commandment and privilege. Lean into that all the way to the end. You will find that there is something surprisingly satisfying and surprisingly exciting about joining in the family business of pursuing all the lost children and bringing them home. That's what the Father's about. And he invites you to come join him. Take him up on it. It's actually kind of awesome. And it is work. And it will bring you suffering. That's the second point. Second Timothy teaches us to embrace suffering for the gospel in the power of God. Second Timothy teaches us to embrace suffering for the gospel in the power of God. So chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, interestingly, the very beginning of the book, Paul starts out by reminding Timothy to fan into flame the gift that God has bestowed on him for the sake of ministry. He's kind of saying, you're gifted. Come on, join him, join him. And Timothy, that's appropriate for you because you don't have, God didn't give you any gift. God did not give you the spirit of shrinking back, self-protecting timidity and fear. When he gave you this gift, he gave you the Spirit who is the Holy Spirit of power and love and self-control. That's true of you too, Christian. You have the Spirit of God living in you who is the Spirit of power and love and self-control to work in you powerfully so that you see and so that you trust the promises of God and you believe that he will never put me in a spot where I will perish, but will carry me all the way through. His promises in the future are safe and secure. Life is found in him, and I'm safe in him. And I can then say no to the offers of self and yes to his promises. I can lay down my life for him and for others. 
power, love, self-control. And he says that in verses 6 and 7 because in verse 8, he's about to get serious. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. That's in you. Immediately, Timothy, suffering. In some mind-boggling alternative universe, some people have presented Christianity as if it's not got suffering in it. I don't know what Bible they're reading there. Probably aren't. Or selectively. But this is in every chapter of this really short letter. Already read verse 8, chapter 12. He appointed me to be a minister of the gospel, and so he suffers, but isn't ashamed. In chapter 2, verse 3, the command, share in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. In verse 9, because of the gospel, Paul says, I suffer chained as a criminal. In chapter 3, if you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. And you know all the persecutions that I endured, recall, stoned almost to death. Shipwrecked, beaten, etc. In chapter 4, verse 5, be sober minded to endure sufferings, all of it written from death row. It's start to finish a really long race. It's, it's a contest in which every two yards you get tackled. Remember that? You gotta hold the ball while getting, 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 getting. When does this end? Well, when you die. That's, that's in our face kind of hard. It's suffering and persecution and hardship start to finish. One long race, one long fight as a soldier. This book is unavoidably clear that if you want to be a faithful gospel minister joining in with Jesus, not only it is the privilege and you will see beautiful things and you will know the joy of communion, the fellowship of battle, you will know loss. If you want to follow the suffering servant Jesus, you will suffer like the servant Jesus. And so he puts that out there and says, are you ready for that? Are you aware of that? Are you clear on that? Death and illness and shortage and prejudice and confusion and loneliness, that's common to everybody in this world. And unique Christians face more than that because we face a world that does not agree. We're in battle with spiritual forces all around and it ends only when we die. That's the way it is. And we really don't like that. And you're aware of it and if we're honest, I think this is right at the core of what causes us to shrink back from and not embrace the first point, faithful gospel ministry. Because you realize, you get a sense of it, and you understand, I know that is going to cost me something. It is. 
I am not at all, I, I really, 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 really am not at all talking about being foolish. That there's some sort of like command that you have to do the thing that would be most offensive to your neighbor. No. I'm, I'm talking about when we live wisely and graciously and foolishly for the name of Jesus. That some portion of the world will disagree, always. And we kind of know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. We kind of know that and we say, I don't know. I don't want to face that. I sense loss is right around the corner and I don't know. And thankfully, as realistic as Paul is about suffering and the call to embrace it, he does not just follow that with a suck it up. It's repeatedly underlined with things like chapter 2, verse 1. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Or as we've already read, share in suffering by the power of God. God calls us to this ministry, promises us it'll bring suffering, and then promises that behind that comes the grace. Repeatedly he says this, join me in suffering, says Paul, by the power of God. That spirit in you, we gotta sit down sometimes and talk to ourselves and, and speak preach, minister the gospel to ourselves first and say, self, here's the truth. Here's the truth, self. Yes, suffering. And yes, grace. Both. And the suffering cannot actually, think it through, the suffering cannot actually take from you anything that the grace does not actually come right behind and restore or uphold or multiply. You may lose friend and family and home and house, but I tell you, a hundredfold in this life and then eternal life to come. Jesus said that, promised it. It's the truth. Yes, there will be cost. And by the power of God, may the Spirit of God open our minds and show us actually because of who he is and because of who you are in him, you are in fact safe, kept, never lost. You will not miss life. Not because it all kind of works out. Not because we live in America that's a place full of abundance. But because this one himself, this suffering servant, for the joy that was set before him, he faced all the sufferings. He endured the suffering of the cross and rose out of it and therefore has said, I legitimately, legally, righteously can say, I forgive you. And therefore then no curse will sit on you, beloved one. I took it all off you. 
And therefore, legitimately, righteously, legally, I can say to you, I'm going to back up the dump truck of heaven, and I'm going to pour on you grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Think of Ephesians chapter 2. And you'll never reach the end of understanding that, of never reach the end of exploring it. And that's legitimate, righteous, and true. We fear the loss of our lives, and God says, I give you life, and I carry you all the way home into abundance forever. By the power of God, by the Spirit of God in you, Christians, see that. It's true. And believe it. And step into it. If you don't, suffering will terrify you. It'll eat your lunch all day long if you don't. But if you do, if you see what he is and what he has won for you, then it will look like privilege. It'll look like offer. It'll look like here's a great Savior who can be taken at his word who is faithful, who was faithful to me all through his pain and beyond and promises me that he will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. I see that and it's true. Only God can open our eyes to that. But God did open Paul's eyes to that, and Paul's a man, flesh and blood like us. God can, God will, open your eyes to that. Face the call to faithful gospel ministry. Face the reality of suffering. And lift up your hands to the God of grace and say, open my eyes and cause me to see you beautiful and strong, good, faithful, saving, all the way to the end. The crown of righteousness will be yours when he brings you safely home. That's good news. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, 
Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.